At the beginning of each year, the President of the United States gives a State of the Union address to a joint session of Congress. The State of the Union address gives America a clear picture of who we are, where we've been, and where we are going as a nation. It's kind of like a vision-casting speech. This morning, I would like to do that. I would like to give the State of the Church address. And I want to give a clear picture to you as a church of where we have been, where we are at, and where we're going as a community. As your pastor and as your leader, I want to give you a clear vision and a clear picture for 2019 and the future. And let me remind you that this vision that I'm going to present to you today has been bathed in prayer and in planning. This vision wasn't thrown together overnight. In fact, this vision was a collaborative effort between me and the leaders of the church. In 2018, the leaders of Christ Point Church and myself met on Tuesday nights for several months to pray, to plan, and to strategize for 2019 and the coming years. I couldn't have done it without them. And I want to give a great big thank you to all those leaders who sacrificed your time, your talent, and your resources in helping me birth the vision that I believe that God has for this church. Would you give a great big God bless you to all those leaders. Thank you. I'm reminded of what the leaders in the Jerusalem church said after they too had prayed and they planned and they collaborated and they strategized at the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15 and verse 28. I want you to listen to Luke who is the author of the book he pins these words, and I quote, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than those things that are necessary. Christ point, it seems good to me, it seems good to the leaders, and it seems good to the Holy Spirit that I present this vision to you this morning. Members of Christ Point Church, to all of the staff, to all of the elders, to all the financial team, the volunteers. We stand at a crossroads this morning. We stand at a crossroads as a nation, and we stand as a cross, at a crossroads as a church. As a nation, we have become so segregated, so torn apart over political views and agendas. As a nation, our view of family, life, and truth is certainly not what our grandparents taught us. Our definition of what a male and a female is is quickly changing. Our schools have become a modern-day war zone. Our children are confused over their own identity and they're confused over truth. Our society puts more emphasis in protecting our animals than we do protecting our own children. The moral decay that's in our society has become like a cesspool running down the streets of America. It seems like our nation is smarter than we used to be, but it seems like we're not any more wiser. It seems like we are going faster, but we're not ending up anywhere. It seems like we have 
more education and more technology than we ever have in human history. But it seems like we are more depleted than we ever have. We have, as a nation, we have the ability to conquer space. But yet at the same time, we can't conquer our carnal habits. Our society is quickly changing right before us. As a church, it's changing. We have exalted truths over trends. As a church, we put more emphasis upon hype than we do personal holiness. We put more emphasis upon performance than we do power or people. We have exalted the machine of how we do church and we put a low emphasis upon the mission of the church. Our modern day preachers are nothing more than motivational speakers who tickle the ears of baptized pagans who sit under church steeples. Our worship services are more concerned about our style, our performance, our technology than we are about cultivating the true presence of God. And we are more concerned about the seeker in the worship service than we are the Spirit of God. For the Scripture admonishes us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit for by which you were sealed. Did not say don't grieve the seeker. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And yet, we have focused so much on the seeker that we've left the Spirit out. Over 65% of churches in America are declining and they are plateauing as I speak. The average church attendance in America is about 62 people in the average church. Church is not what we used to know. Church is changing right before our eyes. Preeminence and prosperity and position seems to be the Holy Trinity of the church now, not the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It seems like we are more feeling-driven than we are faith-driven. We have become a monument of the past and not a movement for the future. We have caved under the pressure of tolerance and we have become a silent giant in the world. We are a monument, no longer a movement. Submission to authority is not common in the church. It's not submission if you agree. And if we don't agree, we start our own church or go to another. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, the Apostle Paul was very clear that we are living in perilous times. He said, for the time will come when they, speaking of the church, will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires. You see, more feeling-driven than faith-driven. According to their own desires, and because of their itching ears, they will heap up on themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and give heed to fables. You see, Charles Dickens wrote a novel, and in this novel called A Tale of Two Cities, he said, in his very first sentence, in the very first chapter of the book, he said, this is the best of times, and this is the worst of times. You know, it's certainly easy to become depressed and upset if you look at our nation. Even if you look at our church worldwide, it's easy to become discouraged, it's easy to become upset and frustrated. And that's understandable. 
Jesus reminds us in the book of Matthew that before His coming, the wheat and the tares will grow together, but He will separate it in the end. Our responsibility is not to try to separate the wheat and the tares. For us, our responsibility is to proclaim the Gospel. Let it fall wherever it may fall. You see, the prophet Isaiah was disturbed because the people's faces did not respond well. But you remember what the Lord said to Isaiah. You are to go and to preach. Don't even look at their faces. Proclaim the Word. Sometimes we have become so face-driven that we have not become presence-driven. Our responsibility is to declare the Word. To preach the Word. And the obedience and the receptivity of people's hearts is left up to them. And I am encouraged today, just like Charles Dickens said, it is the best of times, but it's also the worst of times. I'm encouraged because I'm, I'm a firm believer that this is the best of times. As a church, I believe it's the best of times. Yes, we have seen the worst, but I'm encouraged because in my heart I believe it's the best of times. And do you know why I believe it's the best of times this morning? I believe it's the best of times this morning because God always has a remnant of people. He has a remnant within a remnant, a nation within a nation, a community within a community. There is always a remnant of people that will desire to serve Him and be obedient to Him no matter what the cost may be. There is a remnant of people that will be refused to be bought by compromise. They will not be detoured. They will not turn back. This remnant that I'm talking about, they will not be delayed. They will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. They will not hesitate in the presence of adversity. And they will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, nor will they ponder at the pool of popularity. There is always a remnant of people that God has. Neither will they minder at the maze of mediocrity. This group of people that I'm talking about, they won't give up. They won't shut up. They won't let up. They won't stay up. They, won't, they, won't, they, will, they will stay up. They will store up. They will pray up. They will preach up. And they will pay up because they know the sacrifice is worth it. They know that the reward will always outweigh the risk. This people that I'm talking about is the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus told the Apostle Peter that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are a part of a glorious church that's composed of 2.3 billion people around the world and this church is not dying, it's not sick, it's not on a respirator, it's alive and well, it's a mighty army of believers that's blood-bought, born again, and we shall overcome. I said we shall overcome. This sleeping giant is getting ready to be awoken to the power and the presence of Almighty God. You see, I'm reminded of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18, how the prophet Elisha was so discouraged because he thought he was the only one serving God. And here I want you to see the writer here said this, and yet I have, God said to the prophet, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. 
he was given a message to the prophet that don't think that you're the only church. You're the only person serving God. You're the only person sacrificing. You're the only person giving up. There is at least 7,000 that's not bowed their knee to bell. And I want to remind you that you may see empty seats today, but the church of Jesus Christ is strong. And there are still people that will not bow or bend. There are still people that will not compromise. There are still people that will sacrifice and will not flinch in the face of adversary. There is still people that believe that the Bible is still the true Word of God, that marriage is between one man and one woman, and there is no confusion over gender. You're either Come on, somebody. We still believe in the orthodox Scriptures that was handed to us by the apostles. It was upon the Scriptures that's been handed to us by the apostles. It's the orthodox teaching. And we have no right to change the writings of Scripture. Over 65% of churches in America is declined and plateaued. I thought about this number. And I've pondered this number. 65%, that means over half of the churches in America are declining or they have plateaued. The average age of a pastor in America is 54. It is estimated that within 20 years, if we don't raise up new pastors, then the church will become extinct. We have to have pastors. We have to have worship pastors. We have to have committed people committed to the vision and the mission not just the church, but the mission of Jesus. Now, do we want to fall in that category? Do we want to fall in the category of a declining church or a plateau church? As I stand before you, I have to admit the truth. Jim's, Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. It's a great leadership book. A great leadership book to teach upcoming leaders. In this book, he said, if any organization, community or church, is going to go forth in the future, they must take an honest evaluation of themselves, where they are at, their systems, their structures, and do an honest evaluation. You see, we came a long way from 1934. There's a picture behind me of a little church in 1934. Our church was started in Joplin, Missouri on Annie Baxter. This building that you see behind me was an old bar in a barber shop. I guess you can get your hair cut and get drunk at the same time. But It was started in 1934 because of a man by the name of Sinclair started a revival in Joplin. And a few people in Joplin wanted to have a church that believed in the fullness of the Gospel. That believed that there was more to it than just being saved. It was more to this experience. And so they started meeting on Sundays, eventually they bought this little building here and started having church. The years progressed, and of course they built another building in 1965. You know, and you'll see a couple pictures of some of those old saints there breaking ground in 1965. They were excited about progressing with vision. Another picture of a few people getting on a bus, I think, or no, this was a, a youth service in that building there in the early 60s. I think Brother Diltz was the pastor there, Brother and Sister Diltz, who did a wonderful job pastoring. And uh, you'll see in 1965, a, a new building was built. 1965 called the Pentecostal Church of God. Later in, 19, in the early 1970s, they built what is there now on Annie Baxter. 
And of course, you know, in 2014, we moved here to Galena, Kansas, anticipation of our future and what God wants to do. I stand before you encouraged, but at the same time not content. I understand that there's been great challenges has faced us since we moved here. We were growing and exploding on Annie Baxter. You know that. We went to multiple services on Sunday morning. Our Sunday night crowd was amazing. We were completely full on Sunday nights. Great momentum. Great excitement. We moved here. We kept some momentum. But I realized that as we have progressed our stay here, and through prayer and leadership development, I realized that the Holy Spirit wanted to raise our leadership lid. It is not just about growing a church, but it's about growing leaders. You can grow a church, but if you don't have leadership and strong leaders to contain the people and to develop systems and structures, then the church will not grow. As a matter of fact, it will go to a lid and stop. Our greatest hindrance has been raising up leaders, having strong leaders and volunteers. Do we have strong leaders? Of course. Do we have strong volunteers? Of course we do. We have selfless people who give of their time and effort to this church. And we have strong leaders. But ladies and gentlemen, we need more leaders. We need more volunteers. We need more people dedicated to the plan and purpose and mission of Christ Point Church. Our failure here has been the lack of more leaders, trained leaders. And partially that's been my fault. And I take full responsibility for that. Years ago, my ambition was to have a big church. but I have been delivered from that. The Lord has a way of breaking you. My perception has changed. Big churches are great, but big churches fall very hard if they don't have the system in place and they become an embarrassment. I've decided two years ago in prayer I wanted to get better before I got bigger. I want to develop leaders. I want to mentor people. I want to raise up leaders. I want to pour my heart into people. And I'm going to leave the numbers to Jesus. Leave the numbers to God. But I'm going to do what He called me to do, and that is to raise up leaders, invest myself into people, because after I'm dead and gone, I don't want them to remember that I was a great pastor or preacher. I want them to remember that man believed in me. I want to be better before bigger. Better before bigger. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he, he declares with such authority to His disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, 
that I've commanded you, and whatever I have commanded you, I'll be with you always, even into the end of the age. You see, Jesus said, I want you to go do something for me. I don't want you to go build a big church. I don't want you to build buildings. I don't want you to have a big budget. I don't want you to dress in style. I want you to make disciples. That's what I want you to do. I want you to make followers. I want you to make believers. I want you to make people like me. Don't get concerned about buildings and bucks. Be concerned about bodies. When you focus after buildings and bucks, you lose the mission of bodies. I want you to go make some bodies. I want you to go make some believers. I want you to go disciple people. I want you to develop committed followers of my mission. In other words, Jesus says, I want you to go develop other people like me. I want you to make other people like you. I want you to make followers. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the mission of the church because it is our responsibility to carry that out even in 2019. Now the plan and the strategy is different with each church. But we must do it. We must develop followers of Jesus. Now, what does that entail? To some people, a follower is simply a fan of Jesus. To some people, a follower is just a churchgoer. To others, a follower is a baptized believer. To others, a follower is somebody who reads the Bible or takes communion or follows the teachings of church history. What is a follower of Jesus? There's been many books written about what a follower should do and how a follower should conduct themselves. I've went to multiple seminars on what a Christian should look like. I grew up in old school Pentecost and we had a certain way we had to look like because we were followers of Jesus. There's different sects and groups throughout the world who claims to follow the teachings of Jesus. And all of them have different standards, systems and structures about how you are to conduct yourself, what you are to say, what you are to wear, how many times you are to go to church. And that describes what a believer is. But in spite of all of that, we've got to look at the Bible. What does, a Bible, what does the Bible say that a believer looks like? Is there a description of what a believer should look like? If you look at the book of Acts, a believer, a sold-out, committed follower of Jesus, is a person who is obedient to Jesus at all costs. That person worships privately and they worship publicly. That person fellowships with their brothers and sisters in community. That person gives heed to biblical instruction and obedience to biblical instruction. They share the faith in evangelism. They, they serve one another with their hands. They are generous with their resources. They partake of the sacraments. They are baptized. They partake of bread and juice. They abide in God's Word and feed on God's Word. They love one another. As Jesus said, they'll know them that you are my disciples because of your love. Those are certain things that 
biblically describe a follower of Jesus. And I believe that we as a church have to keep that in front of us. That our mission is to develop followers of Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, behind me you'll see a little graph that will show the phases of growth. When a person comes to Jesus, usually they have the first phrase, phase of growth, and that is they don't believe. The second phase is, I believe there was a Jesus. The third phase is, I believe there is a Jesus. The next phase is, I believe in Jesus. And the last phase is, I believe in what Jesus believes. You see, America and the church has this philosophy and theology that it's okay just to believe in Jesus. 72% of the American population believes in Jesus. But believing in Jesus is not all there is, folks. You've got to believe in what Jesus believes. You've got to practice what Jesus practices. You've got to give heed to what Jesus gives heed to you. Lots of people are baptized. Lots of people believe in Jesus. But do they believe in what Jesus believes? Are we developing that type of church? And I would say no. We're not. Do you honestly believe what Jesus believes? I have to ask myself that question as a leader. That's a a level of commitment that maybe we haven't reached yet. I'm not saying you haven't reached it, but I'm saying we should always be striving to that goal. You see, the Bible says in Romans 8.29, the Apostle Paul said it like this, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined, that we would be conformed to the image of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among brethren. You see, He said we must be conformed to the image of His Son. You see, in the Garden of Eden, when sin, when our first parents sinned, sin came into the world and our image was defiled. Our image was marred. We looked like God in the garden. We walked with God and talked with God in the garden. But when our first parents sinned, sin marred the image of God. And now, when you and I become a believer in Jesus, we live our whole life in sanctification, trying to be conformed to the image that we lost in the garden to look like God. Do you look like God? Do you resemble the image of God? You see, I believe that if you look at Scripture, I believe that if a person is growing in Jesus, it should be at least four things, I think. As I sat down and collaborated with my leaders and I've prayed over this and thought about this, I come to the conclusion that a believer is somebody who has at least four different elements that they're growing in. I think, you could be, I think it could be supported by Scripture. I think that number one, if a believer or a follower is following Jesus and they have a desire to grow, they should automatically want to grow with their head. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. 
that if you are a follower of Jesus, you should have a desire to grow in your knowledge and understanding of the Scriptures. Number two, if you are a follower of Jesus, you should have a heart to cultivate a relationship with God and with others. So, a believer should develop the head aspect. You should want to have knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. You should want to cultivate the heart. The heart. Cultivate a relationship with God and people. You should want to cultivate your hands. Your hands represent service. You should want to serve one another. And your feet represent mission, evangelism. You should want to share the Gospel. There are churches that's excellent because they got an excellent pastor who preaches expository preaching. They get good word every week. They're great at service. But they only run 20 people. I would think that that's not cultivating the feet. You've got to cultivate the feet. You've got to share the Gospel. A healthy church is a growing church. You could be healthy in the head and healthy in the heart and lack serving or lack sharing the Gospel. You can be unbalanced in one area. There are some Pentecostal churches that's wonderful with the heart. They preach fiery messages, cry at the altar, rejoice in the Spirit, but they lack strong biblical teaching. There are some that's strong with the hands. They serve, serve. Social justice. Feed the poor. Clothe the naked. And yet, they're not good at proclamation of the Gospel. There are those who spend all their time evangelizing and yet not cultivating the heart experience. You see, each of these areas have been demonstrated in history, has it not? The head. I mean, years ago, there was a, a movement called the fundamentalist movement. Fundamental Christians. You know, back in the 80's. Where Christians' parents made sure their kids were in Christian school so they can learn the Word. Made sure they went to Bible quizzing to learn the Word. They made sure they memorized Scripture and went to Sunday school to learn the Word. We were very orthodox in our teaching. We were very orthodox in raising our children according to the principles and precepts of the Word. Then, you know, in the early 90's, a great revival happened, Pensacola. There was this idea that we must seek God at the altar. Sunday school was done away with. It was more prolonging around the altar, seeking God, worshiping God, having prolonged worship services. Lights begin to dim, fog machines. It was a concert. It was all about worship. Mother Teresa came along and said, well, what about social justice? What about feeding the poor in India? What about clothing the naked? Because if you do it to the least of these, you do it to Him, she said. And there was this movement. United Methodist Church started a movement of social justice, of feeding the poor and clothing the naked, but they were strong and they were weak in the proclamation of the Gospel. They took to heart that Jesus fed the 5,000, but they forgot that Jesus also preached on the hillside as well. Oh yes, Jesus served. The disciples served. But Jesus preached. You see, the Billy Graham crusades was all about the feet, wasn't it? God bless that hand. God bless that hand. 
God bless that hand. Would you walk down the aisle and say this prayer? That was all about the feet. It was all about sharing the gospel. Phoenix First Assembly of God. Tommy Barnett. I went through the curriculum. Saturday, soul winning. Oh, I was all about it when I was 15 years old. I was going to doors, knocking on doors, because I read the book, watched the VHS tapes about soul winning on Saturday. We knocked on doors because we was going to win our community to Jesus. I was all about the feet. Now, I didn't know how to quote Scripture, but I was going to snatch them out of hell. I was going to preach the Gospel to them. Ladies and gentlemen, that was awesome. Tommy Barnett's, that, that was awesome. Mother Teresa's social Gospel, that's, that's good. Pensacola Revival, that's awesome. Being fundamental in our beliefs and practices, that's good. But is there a way that we can balance it? Is there a way that we can incorporate learning to love God with the mind and learning to love God with the heart and learning to love God with the hands and the feet? I believe it's going to be a struggle all of our life. But I believe that all four of them should be a part of your life. I, sh I think that you should incorporate all of them into your life. I think that you should want to learn the Word of God and study the Word of God and come to Bible studies and small groups to learn and cultivate your understanding of the Scriptures. Listen, the Scriptures are infallible, but your understanding of it is not. Your understanding of the Scriptures is not infallible. It's a quest to learn the Scriptures. It's a quest to understand the God of the Bible. To cultivate a relationship with God with the heart. And that's when the Pentecostal experience comes in. John Wesley said that Methodism was the religion of the heart. On Aldersgate, he said, I became strangely warm. It was the religion of the heart. Preaching, you ever been in a service where preaching moved you? Started crying? Moved you. But teaching changes the way you think while preaching moves you to change. You've got to have both. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus went throughout Galilee preaching and teaching. Gospel. There must be this interplay between the heart and the mind. If the mind is touched and the heart is not, you will have a church full of rules. If you have the heart touched and the mind not touched, you'll have a church of no substance gone crazy. But if you can have a church that's touched by the heart and the mind, you will have a balance between spirit and word. For if you have word only, you dry up. If you have spirit only, you blow up. But if you have both, you grow up. You must have both. A Christian is a person that grows in the knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. It, they cultivate a relationship with God and people. They dedicate themselves to the building of His kingdom through service. And they share the Word of God 
and the Gospel through word and deed through their feet. That is our mission. We're taking the mission down off of that wall. And our mission now, folks, is going to be this. We have a new mission statement that our church will be dedicated to. Our mission now will be this, is to develop disciples who love God with their heart, their head, their hands, and their feet. Because I believe that is the mission of the church, is to develop people who love God with all of their heart, with their hands, with their feet, with their head. You see, that is our mission. That's the mission, I think, of every church. But this is going to be our mission. We're going to focus on developing people who cultivate these four aspects in their life. You're going to hear preaching about this. Our programs, our structure, the way we view church is viewed through the lens of the head, heart, hands, and feet. We will have times of Holy Ghost revival. And you've got to understand that because that's a heart aspect. We will have times where we ask you to sit and learn. Engage your mind to understand the Scriptures, to understand the orthodox teachings that's been handed to us by the apostles. That we encourage you to serve, even in spite of how you feel, because that's growth. That we encourage you to witness and invite people to church and to share your faith in the marketplace. To be obedient with Jesus. And oh, all of this is covered with love. Because without love, we are sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. This is our mission. This is what we're called to do. If you had to look at Christ's point, if I had to look at Christ's point in the future, and I said, what kind of church do we want in the future? Like, if we had to paint a picture in the future of what type of church we want, we've constructed this big picture that I want to read to you. Are you ready for it? The big picture. Everybody shout the big picture. The big picture is this. It is the vision of Christ Point Church to be a biblically rooted. Now, the biblically rooted deals with the head. Everybody show head. Vibrant, multi-generational, ethnically diverse, spirit-filled community of believers who are pursuing God with passion, serving others, developing leaders, pointing our neighbors, neighborhoods, and nations to Jesus Christ. Do you want a church like that? I thought maybe that deserved a hand clap. I mean, could, could you shout it out as loud as you can shout it? Let's just say it together. It is ethnically diverse, spirit-filled community of believers who are pursuing God with passion, serving others, developing leaders, pointing our neighbors, neighborhoods, and nations to Jesus Christ. Are we there yet? No. The mission of developing people in their heart, their head, their hands, and their feet, that helps us to do the big picture. That helps us to accomplish the big picture. We're not there yet, but we're going to strive to be there. We're going to get better before bigger. Better before bigger. Better before bigger. Now how how are we going to do this? 
It's easy to shout about, boy, we want to develop followers of Jesus that cultivates the head, heart, hands, and feet. But how do you do that in a church? It's one thing to preach it. It's one thing to say it. But how do you do it? Well, you know, there is not a perfect church that does it. Every church is striving their best to do what they can to develop followers. If we ever think we've made it and we got it down, that's the day that we need to start over. We should always be trying to do it better before bigger. We should always be striving to perfect our systems and our structures. I believe that one of the ways we can do it is we can have a growth plan that we encourage people to go through. This growth plan is just simply a system or a process by which we have people to go through. It's not a checklist for salvation. It's not salvation. It's not a to-do list, so to speak. It's a process of growth that we gently persuade people to go through. You can't make anybody do anything they don't want to do. But as a church, we can gently push people through areas of growth and encourage them to grow in these areas. There's at least six of them. The first area that at Christ's point that we're going to encourage people is to have a turning point. The turning point is what I call salvation and water baptism. Because as a believer or a newly saved person, we want to make sure that they are converted and we want to make sure that that is played out through water baptism. We want to make sure that that is a step in their journey. That the very first thing in discipleship, the very first thing in growing in Christ is that, number one, you've got to be saved. And you've got to be water baptized. That's the very first thing. That is what I call a turning point. Every person should have a turning point. If you agree with that, would you shout amen? Not only should they have a turning point, but they should have an intro point. An intro point is what we used to call starting point. Intro point is going to be a one Sunday thing where we invite people who, have, who is new to Christ's point, or new to the faith, or exploring Christ's point, we're going to ask them to come to intro point. And intro point is a one Sunday thing where they come and learn about Christ point, the vision of Christ point, our basic beliefs, and how they can get plugged in basically. It's called intro point. Very easy for people to learn about Christ point. Instead of them going through eight weeks of class, they go through one week or just one class where they just learn about it and there's refreshments where you get to meet the pastor, the staff, learn about the vision, mission, and structure, and ways that you can get involved immediately. The third area is that we'll gently persuade people to take a class called Growth Point, not a semester. It's a class. It's, the class will be uh, five or six sessions, and this class will be the essentials of our faith. It's more in-depth, and how to live out the faith. It will start with the seeker, the first section of the class starts with the seeker. Those who are exploring if there is a God. It goes from the seeker to the new believer. What does it mean to be saved? What just happened to me? The principles of salvation. Then from the new believer it goes to the practicing believer. How do I read the Bible? What Bible do I read? Do I read the King James? Do I read the NIV? What is fasting? What is church attendance? What is tithing? What is general? Those are the, that's the practicing belief. 
goes to the growing believer. The fundamentals of our faith. What do they need to know as a Christian? What do we believe as a Christian? And lastly, the going believer. How to share my faith with those who are around me in my everyday life. That's what that class will cover. It's called Growth Point. Then it goes from Growth Point to Serve Point. We want you to serve within the church. And Go Point, we want you to serve beyond the church, the four walls. These are phases of growth that we want you to go through. Now somebody could come to church and go through intro point. They can immediately go to group point. I forgot to mention that. Group point in a small group. They can immediately be joined to a small group. They can immediately serve at certain areas. So this is not in sequence. They can join in certain places in this growth phase. But it starts with growth point. We want you to be saved and water baptized. Number two, we want you to have an introduction to Christ point. What Christ point's about. We want you to grow in your faith and we want you to know how to live out your faith. Growth point. We want you to be involved in a small group because growth takes place in a small group in community. We want you to serve within the church and we want you to share your faith beyond the church. You see, isn't that the head, heart, hands, and feet? The heart is the turning point. Without the heart, there is no turning point. The heart must be turned to God. The head is growth point. Intro point, you must learn the church. Learn what you believe. Isn't the hand serve point? Isn't the feet go point? And shouldn't our groups be all of them? I just like to play on words here. Christ point, turning point. Y'all like that? Everybody shout it out with me. Turning. Pastor Sean, slow down. Slow down there, buddy. I know you're excited and it's a good year for you, but just, just slow down here. <laughs> I love you though. Let's say it. Turning point. Intro point. Growth point. Group point, serve point, go point. Do you love Pastor Sean? Oh, I'm just joking with you. I'm joking with you. I love you. I love you, love you. Funny. In closing, I want to share with you some goals that I have for the church. Our leaders prayed about this. And there's some future goals that I want to implement. There are ten main goals that I want to implement. I have a book that's prepared for you. This book will be given to you at the end of the service. You'll be like, well, Pastor, I can't remember all that. Well, that's fine. It's all in this book. Everything's laid out, spelled out in this book. It's called MAP, Ministry Action Plan for 2019. It's all laid out in this book that you will get at the end of the service. And these future goals will be in there quickly. Give me your undivided attention. These are a few things that we want to focus on as a church. There are future goals. That does not mean we're doing them this year. Some of them we are. But these are future goals because it takes time, it takes volunteers, it takes training, it takes leadership development, it takes resources to get this done. And we understand that. That's why these are our future goals. Number one, our goal is to... Um, to implement and strengthen our next point discipleship process. Now what is that church? Turning point, 
enter a point, growth point. That's our process to have people to go through so they can grow. We want people to go through that. We want to implement that. We want to strengthen that so people can have phases that they can go through so, they can, so we can help them grow. Now, how many knows that they can go through it and that doesn't mean they're necessarily growing? We do know that, don't we? This is a method to help people grow, but obviously people have to be conducive, submitted, have a desire to grow and to learn. So number one, we want to implement and strengthen our next point, discipleship process. Number two, we want to be more advanced in our technology, our presentation, our marketing, and our communication. We're living in a generation where uh, there is technology all around us, and we need to utilize that to preach the gospel and to reach our community and our nation. Number three, we're going to develop a second service on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock in the morning. This service will be held at the youth facility to my left. When you drive up to the church, you'll see the old Assemblies of God. It, we will have a service at 9 o'clock there. Now, I know that at first you're thinking, why do we need to develop a, another service? We're developing this service not because we're packed out in this service. It has nothing to do with attendance. It has to do with growth. We're looking at this as another avenue to reach another set of people. There has been complaints in the past that people think the music is too loud. And I want to commend the worship team and Pastor Sean. They have done an excellent job and tried their very best. They tried their very best. And I've said this, it's not appropriate, church. And I'm, I'm putting the pastor hat on. It's not appropriate for you to go to the sound booth and tell the sound men to turn it down and make faces to them. That's not appropriate. There is a structure. There is a structure we go by. Pastor Sean is the worship pastor. They're not going to listen to you. They'll listen to the leader that's over them. Everybody has an opinion about how loud it should be. There are some people that don't think it's loud enough. So everybody has an opinion of how it should be. I'm not going to lose any more hair over this issue. And I say that respectfully. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a 9 o'clock service and it's going to be a blended service. That means we're going to have contemporary worship, but we also might have a hymn. We might have a song from the 90s. We might have a song from the 2000s. We might go back a little bit. All right? But it's going to be blended. It's going to be at 9 o'clock, and the music will be softer, not as loud, and it will be in a smaller environment. Some people like a smaller room, a smaller environment, and I get that. Listen. I took a class on church facilities. And one of the things I learned is you never show any more seats than you have people to fill. You always use warm colors. You always bring people closer to the pulpit. There's things that you do because it, bring, it brings an intimate feeling of worship. When people come to church and it's empty and it's cold, it does not produce this atmosphere where people are conducive to worship. Now I know that we can say well, if the glory of God shows up and all that stuff, and that's true. But there's been proven studies to show that color 
and space has a whole lot to do with how people feel. And so some people like that more intimate feeling. They like a more closed-in space to worship, and that's fine. So, and I, I think this is a good idea. I actually love this idea. I'm the one that's proposed this idea, and I'm going to tell you the reason why. Not just because of the sound, but because we live in the Midwest, we live in Galena and Joplin, and we got a lot of people that like the blended type of worship. And so let us be that multi-generational church and let us try our best and reach to those people that like that style and let's go forth with that. Can I hear an amen? And so the, uh, this church service will be at 10.30. So the first will be at 9 o'clock. It'll be a little shorter church service, but it's not going to be any less of a church service. We're going to put more, we'll put energy, we're going to put strategy and systems and structure we're going to put our heart into it. It's not a second-class service. It's going to be a quality service. It's just going to be a little shorter. It's going to be blended. It's going to be a little softer in the volume. And it's going to be a little bit more intimate. And so if you feel like that's a service that you want to be a part of, we strongly encourage you to pray about it because we're going to launch it on Easter Sunday morning. Easter Sunday morning, we're going to launch that service at 9 o'clock in that facility and this service will be at 10.30, and this service is not going to change. As a matter of fact, we might amp it up a little bit, all right? And so this service is not going to change at all, all right? Pastor Sean is going to lead worship for the 10.30 service, and we, uh, we have appointed Chris Stalling to be the assistant worship pastor, and he's going to lead worship for the first service at 9 o'clock. So, And Chris is going to... Uh, get with people, he's going to incorporate people, incorporate singers, and so he's excited about incorporating people, and Sean as well, and so we, we appreciate them. So number three, we're going to develop a second blended service on Sunday morning. Number four, we're going to develop and execute a small group program, and that's really in our next point process, but um, we have appointed, with the consultation of the elders and myself, we have appointed uh, a, a wonderful couple to our pastoral staff, and I'd like to welcome them at this time, and that is Doug and Connie Spears. Would they stand at this time? <clears throat> Doug and Connie Spears is going to be over our discipleship program. They will be over our small groups. We've already been meeting and so we're going to launch our small group system in August. We want to have adequate time where we can prepare our leaders with curriculum, prepare how they can do it. Our small groups is going to be head, heart, hands, and feet. Our small groups is going to consist of worship. It's going to consist of Bible study. It's going to consist of serving. And it's going to be consisting of us inviting people to our groups because it is proven that people are more proven to come to a small group than they are a church service. That is an excellent on-ramp to develop and execute a small group system. Remember, turning point, intro point, growth point, group point, serve point, go point. Number five, we want to implement a discipleship program for our next-gen ministries and provide cutting-edge facilities, and curriculum for our next gen. 
Our children and our youth are at stake. We must put time, energy, and money and resources into our children. They are not the church of tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, they are the church of today. Number six, I want to launch a ministry development system to train future leaders and preachers for kingdom proclamation and leadership. I've already kind of started that. It needs to be perfected more. But I am a product. I stand before you as a product of someone believing in me. A little West Virginia boy from a broken home. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't mean to get emotional. Because every time I think about somebody just believed in me. Somebody loved me. Somebody was my father figure. Somebody came alongside of me. Told me that you may see dirt, but I see gold. I'm a product of somebody just believing in me. And I want to do that. I want to believe in future leaders and preachers. Number seven, I want to implement a Celebrate Recovery program to provide support and provide tools and celebrate together for those who are struggling with hurts, hang-ups, and habits. David and Patty Yates have uh, went through that program. They've benefited from it. And they are actually here in the near future going to be through some training about how to implement a Celebrate Recovery program. We're not sure when we're going to implement it, but we are going to implement it. And so I just want to say kudos to David and Patty for taking on that burden. We love you guys very much. Number eight, we want to develop an after-school program for the children in Galena. There is a need for the children of Galena to be ministered to. We feed some families on Wednesday nights, and it's amazing the little children that come who cannot be fed at home because their parents don't have the finances. Can we, as a church, extend our hands of mercy and compassion to people in the city of Galena and be Jesus to them. Number nine, I want to plant a church in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Now, this is a future goal. This is not something that we're able to do now. We don't have the volunteers or the staff to do that. I understand that. We don't have the resources to do this now, but this is in my heart. I was driving through Pittsburgh several years ago and just this incredible burden to start a church there. Does that mean I'm going to go and leave this church to go pastor that church? No. I pastor this church. But there are opportunities and ways and systems and structures that we can start a church in Pittsburgh where it doesn't take away from our Sunday morning or even Sunday night from here. It'll be a different format because it's a university town, it's a college town. But this provides us areas for us to grow in, to use our technology, to use our systems that we can perfect here that we can take there. I think we need to get it perfected here before we share it with another city. What about you? And lastly, I want to open a Christ Point Academy. Why not? This building is big enough. It's a shame that we only use it a couple of times a week. Why not use it for the ministry? I went to a Christian school not all my life. I went to public school, half of it, and then a few years to a private school. I went through Abeka. It was very difficult. I had a great education. My SAT scores was above sufficient for me to get into a liberal arts school. 
And I credit that to a fantastic Christian school that I went to that had excellent standards. We want to have a Christian school not just to have one because there is premier Christian schools in town. College Heights is a premier Christian school. Excellent. There's excellent Christian schools that we don't need to compete with. But could we develop a Christian school that develops the head? The hands? Could, could we develop a Christian school that's just not academically trained, but heart trained and hands trained and feet trained? It's just not the mandate of the church to raise your child. As parents, you have a mandate to raise your children in the principles and precepts of God's Word. That is just not something we do once a week, but it is a lifestyle, that it is a worldview. That your children are raised with a worldview. They look through the lens of biblical Scripture. Our children nowadays are so driven by feelings and humanism. Philosophical debate that they don't know how to debate Scripture. They don't know how to answer for the reason of the hope that lies within them. Could it be that we could raise up the next generation of men and women who are trained intellectually, experientially, activity, and share in the Gospel? Could it be that we can expire to do something great for God? And ladies and gentlemen, you may say, Pastor, how can we start a church? How can we do an after-school program? How can we do a small group? How can we do that? Vision is something that could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. Are we going to be like the four lepers found in the Old Testament where they sit around and just die? Well, what if it doesn't work? Then, then let it be said of Christ's point, let it be said of Pastor Josh, that they, did not, they were not afraid to try something. Even though it didn't work, they wasn't afraid. They wasn't just going to sit around and do nothing. They were going to try. What do we got to be afraid of? Failure. And if we do fail, we will fall forward. And we will try something else. And we will try something else. And we will try something else until something works. I want to extend a, a warm welcome to my... Uh, and I want to say this, that on Easter Sunday morning is going to be a great service here. I am praying and believing God for great things for Easter. And I need you to do something. I need this church to help me promote Easter services at 9 o'clock and 10.30. The blended service and the modern service or the contemporary service. Two services on Sunday morning. Our Sunday night stays the same. All right, for now, it stays the same. So Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, 10.30, that's implemented on Easter Sunday morning. And I need you to do something for me. I need you to pray. I need you to invite. I need you to invite everybody that you can invite. I need you to invite them to either service. I need you to give options to people. We will provide you with a connection card and information for you to invite somebody to the Easter service. We'll have that to you in the next couple weeks that you can invite somebody to the Easter service. We're going to have an Easter outreach event on Saturday where parents can come and build a basket for their children, see the Easter bunny, hear the story of Easter. That'll be on Saturday. 
Easter Sunday morning, we're going to blow it out, 9 o'clock and 10.30, and I need you to invite everybody to the outreach event on Saturday, invite everybody to church on Easter Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30. I need you to pray. I need you, I need to feel your strength. I do not want to feel like I'm carrying all the burden and that you're just enjoying the ride. I, I need to feel strength from you. I need, I need you to be on board. I need you to say, we're going to make it work. I need you to say, we, we're, we're going to make this. Now we can talk of every excuse why something ain't going to work. But let's try it. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. And, I, and Easter is going to be a grand reveal for our church. I want you to say, listen, if we want you to come to this service. We want you to meet our pastor. This is Easter. And most people will come to church on Easter if you will invite them. And we're going to have the next booth process set up. We're going to have different things set up where people can get connected. And that is why I'm preaching this to you so that you are aware that we're going to have those things, some of those things implemented. Ladies and gentlemen, I said a lot today, but the Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, that we are to write the vision and make it plain. That he that may read it may run with it. That he may read it may run with it. I've written it before you. I want you to look at it. Share it with someone. Tell people about it. That we're just not doing church just to do church. But ladies and gentlemen, we are doing church on purpose. Do church on purpose. Do church on purpose. Disney World was just open. Walt Disney had one ride constructed. Walt Disney was sitting on a bench one day on his grounds looking at the only ride that he had in the park. He was sitting on a bench staring at the rides and it said that Walt Disney wandered in space, just looking. And his eyes caught a mountain. He started staring at a mountain. One of the workers was there mowing the grass, sweeping the sidewalks. He said to Mr. Disney, Mr. Disney, are you okay? And without even looking at the man, Walt Disney said, I'm fine. Everything's okay. The man that was cutting the lawn and sweeping the sidewalk said, well, Mr. Disney, what are you doing? It looks like you're staring at that mountain over there. Is everything all right? Disney sat and just stared at the mountain. Told the man, everything's okay. I see a vision. Disney then just shortly after told his architects that that mountain over there I want you to draw up some plans and make me what they now call Space Mountain. Space Mountain was built, but sadly, Walt Disney died. He had the architects to construct it, but he never really saw it. He never saw it with his physical eyes. When Space Mountain was dedicated, the governor and the mayor was present. And Mrs. Disney was also present. She was up in years then. She was present. One of the young men stood to introduce her as they dedicated that new ride called Space Mountain and said 
to the crowd as they introduced Mrs. Disney, he said, you know, it's, it's a pity that Mr. Disney is not here to see this great mountain and great ride, but I'm so glad his wife is here to witness it. Mrs. Disney walked up to the podium and said, I must correct this young man. Walt already saw the mountain. It is you who are just now seeing it. I've already saw it. Whether you see it or not is up to you. We can be one of those churches that's plateaued or declining. Or we can give up so that we can go up. We can believe in a dream that's bigger than ourselves. We can decide that we want to do things better before bigger. We don't want to be promoted and our system not strong enough to contain it. And then we fall. Then everybody says they knew it wouldn't, they knew it wouldn't work. It's not how fast we are going, folks. It's in what direction we are going in. Don't despise the day of small things, the prophet said. There was a young man who was writing a college paper in his economics class. And he wrote in his paper how it would be awesome that one of his dreams would to, to have overnight mail. He called it express mail. He wrote a whole article about it, a whole paper about it. Turned it into the professor. The, pre the professor took a big red pen, circled all around it, gave him a C, threw it back on his desk and said, young man, quit dreaming those dreams. That will never happen in your lifetime. That young man left that school that day, quit school and started the Federal Express. I can't do it without you. I need you. Your name may not be behind me. I may not recognize you and had you stand. But you are still valuable even if you're not visible. I need you to be on the team. I need us to work together. I need us to make church great again. Amen. Amen. Would you invite somebody to Easter? And this is what I need. I need as many people. Now that building's not very big over there. But I need as many people to commit to go to that service for the first month. To both services. We don't want our guests to go and there's five people in there. Until we get it going, we need to massage it and cultivate that service. So I need some folks to say, Pastor, I'm just going to spend that morning in church. I, need, I want to go to the 9 o'clock and I'll come to the 10.30 service. We need some folks that will commit to do that. We don't need everybody. Just We need some few folks. At least 30 to 50 people that say, listen, I'll commit that. I'll go to both services, especially on Easter. But I will commit for a month to go to both services. That service will be shorter. This service will be longer. But I'll, I'll commit. We also need people to commit to serve in both services until we develop some people. Now, we already, we've already been having meetings. As a matter of fact, after this service, we have some meetings all afternoon getting ready for the Easter service. 
So we're already in planning for this Easter service and already planning to implement some of this stuff. But we need some folks that will just be committed for the first month to go to both services and also be committed to serve in both services. And if we have enough people, we might not need you to serve in both services. But we just need you to sacrifice a little bit. And I don't think that Pastor Josh asked much about you or much for you. I don't think that this church is pushing you to be so uncomfortable. Most of you attend church once a week and you serve 30 minutes before church. I think that we could put a little more effort. You know, you know what I'm saying? I think we can, we can and I'm not saying you, you don't love Jesus or love the church, but listen, it's okay to push a little bit. It's okay to sacrifice. Now some of you live far away and you can't do that. And I understand that. Some people live an hour away or 45 minutes. I understand that. But those that live around here and hop, skip, and a jump, and there are some of you that's here all the time. And I certainly appreciate that. But it's not the responsibility for just a few people to be here all the time and a few people doing all the work. We need all of us working together as a team. Is that all right? You see in my heart what I'm saying? Amen.